0: The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW.
1: Maybe we can work something out here. This doesn't have to end badly for you. It doesn't have to end badly for any of us. If you join me. Anna was at the Vatican today, she's making big moves. We need to do the same. Big moves? Like the three kids you strung up this morning? More suicide bombers? How many more innocent souls do you plan to take? My faith taught me to value every soul, but in this kind of war, I've had to learn to adapt, compromise, make sacrifices, and so will you. You know what? Maybe we can use this guy. Malik's body?
0: What are you talking about? Erica, you want someone responsible for this morning's peace ambassador murders. We need someone to pin Malik's death on to close the closing investigation. Two birds one
1: stone. Yeah. He's right, Erica. I think there's a way we can cement this new bond of ours.
2: We have no bond.
1: I will give you the two men who killed the peace ambassadors. You can use them as scapegoats for your partner's disappearance. They'll be in this cabin here tonight at 9 o'clock, ready to take the fall. Yeah, why would they do that? I already told you, Father. Sacrifice.
2: Good morning, London. It is Thursday, July 28, 2011. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Robert Vaughn, And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM, where we'll be with you from now until noon. Hey, no, not right wing.
3: Just right. Fade into colour, colour into black and white, under the bedclothes.
2: Right. And welcome once again to the show today where 519 661 is a number to call if you want to reach us today or email us at feedback at justrightmedia.org As many people did who we'll be hearing from in the latter half of today's show we'll be talking about Actually, the show itself, uh, getting a lot of subjects in there based on some of your letters and comments to us, everything from fiat money, the UN, Israel. We might get in the census, gay pride, and a whole bunch of updates and announcements. And that's uh, just for the second half of the program. First half of the program, of course, it's an event that has, quote, shaken the world. Uh, I guess Robert is looking at it as a subject of a balance of terror, the horrible events that happened in Norway and uh, the 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 ongoing issue with multiculturalism is it insanity or is it evil we'll talk about that as well robert you have some interesting things to bring to our attention this morning well you and i were talking on the phone uh,
4: quite a bit over this uh, norwegian bomb blast over the last few days and i was trying to get a perspective on what we should talk about because i really think that we need to talk about this particular issue even though i was reticent right at the beginning what was your first reaction when you heard that there was a bombing in oslo and shooting on that island uh, not far from oslo my first thought was mm-hmm. okay here's some more islamic terrorists again attacking the west right mm-hmm. but no what did we find out that the perpetrator anders brevik was a norwegian nationalist a christian and not a muslim what a rarity how unique This hasn't happened since when um timothy mcveigh in 1995 perhaps Uh, the event lasted just three hours but the political fallout has only just begun and i think it's going to go on for quite a long time and this brethren brevik will be referenced from uh, now until doomsday i suppose
2: (laughs) i'm looking forward to that day yeah
4: (laughs) yeah (laughs) now until armageddon Over the past few days, the pundits, radio talk show hosts, newspaper editors, and journalists have all tried to make sense of such a heinous act. And I guess it's our turn now, Bob. And they've come down on two sides, I think. The established liberal media have tried to paint Breivik as a typical member of a burgeoning right-wing movement in Europe which is against multiculturalism. They're Islamophobic and nationalistic. The conservative media, pundits and talk show hosts have immediately taken issue with the labeling of Brevik and have, quite rightly, I, I think, tried to paint him as a lone criminal, not at all representative of those who are in favor of restricting Muslim immigration into not traditionally non-Muslim countries. Now, one of the conservative pundits, Mark Stein, said it best when he said just recently, so, quote, if a blonde, blue-eyed Aryan Scandinavian kills dozens of other blonde, blue-eyed Aryan Scandinavians, that's now an Islamic or as an Islamic-phobic mass murder. Obviously, silly. Quite telling (laughs) of the double standard of the liberal press is an article in the American Spectator, which juxtaposed the headlines of the New York Times for the Norwegian massacre with the headlines of the Fort Hood massacre in 2009. Now, to recap, the Fort Hood massacre was carried out by a Muslim by the name of Nidal Malik, Hassan, who described himself as a soldier of Allah and shouted Allahu Akbar before killing 13 and wounding 29 U.S. servicemen and women on the army base in Texas. Now, the headlines for the Norwegian-Norway massacre are as follows. These are from the New York Times. One, Oslo suspect wrote of fear of Islam and plan for war. Another one, Norway attacks put spotlight on rise of right wing sentiment in Europe. Here's another, killings in Norway spotlight anti Muslim thought in US. Or another, as horrors emerge, Norway charges Christian extremist. And finally, right wing extremist is charged in Norway. Now, here are the headlines for the Fort Hood massacre of two years ago. Remember,
1: mm-hmm. it
4: was a Muslim and it was an Islamic terrorist attack. And yet, here's how the New York Times headlined it. Army doctor held in Fort Hood rampage. Mass shooting at Fort Hood. Little evidence of terror plot in base killings. Major is arraigned in Fort Hood killings. The bias is stark, it's black and white. No mention is ever made by the New York Times of the Fort Hood mass murderer being Muslim. And shouting Allah, Allah Akbar before his rampage while within hours of the Norway massacre, the perpetrator was labeled Christian, right-wing, Islamophobic. And put in the headlines and that's the whole story. So there has the, been some denials of that too, but we'll see. As a matter of fact, I've been reading the uh, manifesto of Anders Breivik on the internet and he doesn't really come out as being a fundamentalist Christian at all which has been portrayed mm-hmm. in the newspaper. He, he's what I would perhaps call a moderate Christian. He doesn't really belong to any particular orthodoxy. So what does this tell us, this, 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 um, this bias, in the New York Times at least, the liberal press? That's even worse in a way, if he's, <coughs> if he's only a moderate Christian. <laughs> what will the extremists do? <laughs> the real Islamophobe, in my opinion, Bob, is the newspaper editor who refuses to mention that a terrorist is a Muslim. Why? Because he fears retaliation, perhaps? He fears Islam? This makes him the Islamophobe. By definition, he is afraid of Islam.
2: Uh, You know, a lot of them say the reason they do that is to prevent the public from suddenly acting irrationally themselves against uh, an identifiable group. Or perhaps acting acting rationally, perhaps.
4: Mm. Mm. Now, unless the West and the rest of the civilized world comes to grips with the overwhelming violence committed by Muslims in the name of their religion, the carnage, in my opinion, will continue. Not the kind of carnage that Anders Breivik inflicted on his young defenseless victims, which, although horrific to contemplate, is an aberration and pales in comparison to the continuing carnage of atrocities carried out daily by jihadists. Now, I'd ask you to consider out there How many deadly Islamic terrorist attacks have occurred worldwide since the 9-11 attacks in 2001? Don't count attacks in combat, such as in the Afghanistan War or Iraqi War. Don't count incidents of ordinary crime involving Muslims killing for money or some other non-religious motive. Only count terrorist attacks committed out of religious duty designed specifically to instill terror. Do you think it might be 10 or 20 or even 100? What do you think, Bob? (laughs) It
2: seems like one a day anyway, so 100, (laughs) let's say, 200. Uh, As of two
4: days ago, there have been 17,506 Islamic deadly terrorist attacks worldwide. Just last week alone, there were 40 attacks, resulting in 101 deaths and critically injuring 264. Last month alone... There are 184 attacks in over 18 countries, resulting in 930 murdered and 1,527 critically injured. That's just last month. Now, this data comes from a website called thereligionofpeace.com, which has kept records of Islamic attacks worldwide since 9-11. Now, since Breivik's attacks, that was just, what, on the weekend? Since Breivik's attacks, there have been at least 15 Islamic atrocities committed around the world, resulting in 47 deaths with almost no press coverage in the West. I think the only newspaper uh, out our way here in Canada would be the National Post, which tries to cover some of the more heinous acts. And I'm just going to go through a few of them just to put this into perspective, to balance the terror of Breivik with these following incidents. September 27th, what was that? Yesterday, Mandera, Kenya. Al-Shabaab militants kill a local cop with a remote-controlled bomb. Also yesterday, in Kandahar, two dead. A suicide bomber embraces his target as he detonates, killing another. In Khunqouz, Afghanistan, of yesterday, three children were blown to bits by a Taliban rocket. Four others are injured. In Diyala, Iraq, the day before yesterday, Islamic terrorists have invaded an office building and shoot at least six people indiscriminately before fleeing. Again, the day before yesterday in Kirkuk, Iraq, a young boy and his father are murdered by suspected al-Qaeda. Day before yesterday, in Yala, Thailand, Muslim uh, insurgents shoot a civilian to death in front of his six-year-old daughter. Actually, this just goes on and on. There's at least another ten or so events that happened just in the last few days. This is just in the last three four days. Well, I didn't read about any of them in the free press. No. No, of course not. <laughs> and all of these, none of these, actually, I don't, except for one. Uh, the, there was a, a young eight-year-old boy hung by Taliban insurgents to punish his father who was a police officer who would, enjoy, who would not join the Taliban. The sheer evil of this. Here's another one. Kohat, Pakistan, on the 23rd. An eight-year-old girl is taken apart by a mortar fire fired by Islamic militants at a village hosting a peace committee. We in the West seem to have been inured by Muslims killing people. That's what makes the Norwegian massacre noteworthy, in my opinion. A white man, a Christian, has murdered other white people in a politically motivated bombing and shooting spree. This is a novelty. This is news. When a Muslim does the exact same thing every day, four or five times a day, all over the world, we dismiss it. The question is why? What would happen if we published a YouTube video of the Taliban hanging an eight-year-old boy in order to punish father his father for not joining the organization? What would happen in the West if we were inundated daily with pictures and videos of the daily beheadings of infidels like us, of the daily bombings of the splashing of acid in little girls' faces for daring to go to school? Why is the press afraid of telling the truth, of letting us see the horrors of this cultural war we are in, why? Because it would fly in the face of their cherished beliefs that all cultures are the same. They're all equal. There's an equivalence in cultures. That we can all just get along if we all held hands in some grassy meadow and sang Kumbaya. Well, we can't. People like Brevik must be brought to justice for their, for their actions, their heinous, evil actions. The light of day should be shed on these motives as much as they can be determined. But just as we do with Brevik, we must also do to the thousands upon thousands of Muslim breviks of the world who continue to kill the maim in the name of politics and religion. Every death of an innocent is tragic and must be accounted for whether he be white-skinned Christian child in Norway or a dark-skinned Muslim child in Darfur. The killing of innocents must stop, and all terrorists, whatever their religion or politics or their skin color, must be held accountable for their actions. If the press and the media refuse to do it, then who will? This is an interesting letter in today's National Post, by the way. It's from Jeff Greenwald of Guelph, Ontario. This is what he had to say. Mm -hmm. What I found so obviously missing from the stories about the the Norway uh, bombing and shooting was the obvious. With Anders Behring Breivik's killing rampage so inextricably, inextricably linked to his fears about the Islamification of Europe, and with his self-declaration as a Christian of sorts, why hasn't there been a decent explanation of Islam, Christianity, and their points of conflict so that we can all come become better educated on the matter? That is the question. Why aren't we being taught about Islam and the differences and the uh,
2: well it, if you want to hear that you have to listen to this show because we've done a show on that very subject that's already right. but it's not a common subject going on daily in the, in the in the media that's for sure we are definitely in a cultural war there is a problem
4: with official multiculturalism when it specifically refers to the immigration of muslims into uh, non-traditional muslim places there is a problem with islam violence in islamic countries and I think we really have to come to terms with this. And, I, I, and if any lesson has been taken out of this Norwegian massacre, it should be that we should really open our eyes and understand what's going on around us and balance this this terror that's out there properly. What do you think, Bob?
2: Well, I agree. I think uh, that's something I'll be looking at after the break is, is a little bit of the uh, what kind of person is this, what kind of person is capable of doing this. And I think I have a surprising, at least I have some... Disturbing thoughts of my own on this subject, actually. It's a disturbing subject. Yes, it is. So uh, I guess coming up next is now. I'm not sure of the background of this clip oh, entirely. Yes, up up next is a clip by Pat Condell. Now, Pat Condell
4: is a British uh, English, actually born in Ireland. He's a comedian, and he's mm-hmm. gotten a really big reputation. He has million, tens of millions of viewers on his uh, YouTube channel. Mm-hmm. And he comes out and he basically puts, the, you know, puts it in front of you. He, has, he, he doesn't hold anything back when he's talking about multiculturalism, Islam, terror. And um, here's a clip from him about the Norwegian bombing and
2: massacre. Okay, let's give a listen.
3: The Norwegian murderer has shown himself to be as much an enemy of humanity as any jihadist. Indeed, he is a jihadist by any other name. He claims there's a war going on, and there certainly is, a war between civilised people and violent barbarians like him. It sickens me to think that this kind of thing can still happen, when it must be obvious to even the most stupid among us that violence will never prevail because it will never win the hearts and minds of the people, the ones who are always left to pick up the pieces. How obvious does that have to be? You'd have to be a moron not to see it, or a fanatic. And given the parlous state of democracy in Europe today, it's clear that any fundamental change in society is going to require overwhelming public support. Violence immediately snuffs that out like a candle. It's gone. This lunatic has murdered 76 innocent people and drawn hatred upon himself and everything he claims to believe in. He's hated in Norway, he's hated everywhere, as much as the suicide bombers in London and New York were hated and still are, and as much as any fanatical zealot who thinks that they have a right to play God. Violence is not the answer. It's never the answer. And we will never progress as a species until we drag ourselves out of this swamp of violence. And that's why anyone who uses or who advocates violence for any political reason is my enemy. No exceptions. I couldn't help noticing, however, in the aftermath of this atrocity, a rather unhealthy eagerness in some quarters to apportion blame by association, as if all critics of Islam are somehow complicit in this man's insanity. Well, that's very unfortunate, but given that the rules have now clearly been changed in this regard, I'll be very interested to see how many hate-preaching imams are blamed for the next Islamic atrocity. No one who criticises Islam or multiculturalism is in any way responsible for this lunatic's actions, and the criticisms are all still entirely valid. Islam is still a totalitarian ideology that actively threatens our freedom, political correctness is still, yes, cultural Marxism, and multiculturalism is still a lie. And all over Europe de facto blasphemy laws are still being used to prosecute people who criticise Islam and only Islam. These horrific murders have not changed any of that and the only thing that will change it and the only way to get the overwhelming public support needed for change is not through violence but by defending freedom of speech no matter what and by telling the truth. That's all we need. Peace. And a little honesty would be nice as well. Something's not right. What? Those snipers, they're locking onto targets they couldn't possibly see. My men are hidden. How does the FBI know where they are?
1: Anna must be helping them somehow. If the FBI is moving in, it means they're getting ready to storm the building. Take your men out. What are you doing? Buy us more time.
0: What the hell are you doing? Taking hostages is not our deal.
1: Those aren't just hostages they are your lifeline.
0: I didn't agree to this, Eli. Those are innocents. I told you I wouldn't do it this way.
3: Look around you, Erica. No one is safe. Your son's father's out there, delivered from the safety of his home into this crucible. And he may die. We may all die. And why? Because of Anna and the visitors.
5: If we don't
0: protect the innocents, then we are no better than the visitors.
3: Hostages right now are the only way to ensure that you live that Tyler's father lives, and that the fifth column lives.
1: I've led my share of battles against the visitors. Those battles are yours now.
0: You want me to lead?
1: Why me? We couldn't disagree more about how to fight this war.
3: Maybe. But I've seen something in you, something that's far more important. So you understand that this fight is for our future. For our family's future, and at the end of the day, that's what this cause needs more than anything. Now take these people out to safety. Protect your cover. Come out a hero.
2: Welcome back. We're talking about the atrocious events that happened in Europe, in Norway this past week. You know, there have been many such actually organized violent efforts from the arguably legitimate underground that flourished in europe during the second world war to the irish republican army in ireland to the seemingly daily acts of terrorism i guess not seemingly but actual in the muslim world to various individual terrorists in history including unfortunately last week's violent and deadly political attack on the ruling party in of all places norway now one thing I noticed as I was looking around, some of the headlines I was seeing, was something that kind of bothered me a bit, because I think if we go this way, we're going the wrong way. And this is the idea that this guy is just a nut. I don't agree. I, I, I have trouble with that, and I'll tell you why. Um, Brevik, no, no Christian nut, just nuts, reads the headline to Ezra Levant's editorial in the July 26th Free Press. As if to imply that if you are a Christian, you are incapable of being nuts in some way, right? So you can't be a Christian nut. That's the impression I get. But, you know, it's been said, and we, I hear this all the time, anybody that would do that has to be crazy. Well, maybe, in a way, you could say that, but I don't know about that. I don't think Brevik was mad or psychopathic or any such label indicating any physical or mental capacity to make a calculated and premedicated... Medica- premeditated um, logical choice, I guess. But here's the scary part for me, and I, I actually think that any person is capable of doing what this guy did, if not exactly how he did it, if they felt morally justified about it or even for less justification if they believed they were just following orders as some soldiers did in various wars in the past. You know, during World War II, soldiers on both sides routinely engaged in activities that resulted in innocent civilian casualties. Many were rewarded for their actions. You know, if you you watch Hogan's Heroes, the boys go out every week, bomb a bridge, and it happens to kill a whole bunch of krauts, and the laugh track just keeps on rolling. It's, you know, because boy, that's really funny stuff, isn't it? And quite morally justified, which in full context one might say it was, but that's not my point. When someone unilaterally acts with the same conviction and determination that soldiers and governments act with during times of conflict, uh, I don't think, I think it's a mistake to dismiss it as just, you know, he's crazy. I don't think that's what it is, because to do so would justify all such actions as being unpunishable if everybody's just crazy when they do it, right? And that would just open the door to an endless, mindless series of private violent actions, the essence of anarchy, actually, whether caused by too much government or an absence of government, both of which are bad. This is not insanity, but evil, when one's actions cannot be objectively justified on moral grounds. If everyone who does something like this is just considered insane or crazy... Well, think about it. That, that means evil simply does not exist, then, does it? Ain't no such animal. What is evil except to make a choice under a rational circumstance and to believe that it was the right choice but being the wrong one? And, you know, Brevik has demonstrated that evil does exist by becoming it, though there you know, are many people, I'm sure, who, who uh, will never understand why. So, you know, is he crazy? I don't know. Some people would say I'm crazy. For starting a new political party from scratch is that crazy Because same people don't do things like this i've been told people who invest their time and money on lost causes you know that's how they look at it and yet many of those causes aren't but uh, you know if you're doing that geez there's something wrong with you or so the crazy insane theory goes i look at it a bit like this it's not the person's crazy which is almost a medical condition of, or, or such thing but it's a programming problem um is a computer inherently defective when it spews out gibberish and fails to function properly? Perhaps causing harm to others in the process? Rarely. It's usually a software problem or, uh, or an operator problem, rendering efforts of the computer itself to be termed corrupt. We call it corrupt. So, you know, is, is the infor- it is the information or the assumption on which the computer operates that will determine the outcome of its calculations and any programmed actions. And so, you know, I'm thinking, beware of the coming world of robots and robotics, because we don't really know what kind of world we're going to be looking at then. And, uh, you know, one corrupt idea will of necessity and quite logically lead to a corrupt outcome. And this is interesting, because this fellow calls himself logical. He's very logical, and he is totally logical. I was reading
4: his manifesto, and it is extremely intelligent. It is a little disjointed in spots. It's a little...
2: Verbose, but I mean, this is not an, an unintelligent man. No, oh. and and he's not wrong about everything he says. No, but that's the problem. That's that's where the issues come in. Um, you know, robots equally as functional as each other can be programmed for entirely different outcomes, operations, and actions. People are the same way. It, it, it's uh, the programming is corrupt. It's in the inherent um, programming of human beings, which is their value system, what we call religion, what we call philosophy. You know, if, uh, if um, all of a sudden we had robots programmed to, 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 who, by someone who wants to see theocracy imposed on a society, we'd have a lot of religious pro- robots running around, <laughs> driven by ideology. It is the ideology that might be termed crazy or insane, to the degree to which it doesn't correspond to an observed reality, which includes, you know, the metaphysics and epistemology and all this stuff. Now, of course, there's a bigger issue, too. There's the right-wing issue where, um, you know, I think he is a right-winger in, in, in a lot of senses. Uh, we always say, not right-wing, just right, because we, we, we distance ourselves from the idea of using force to get people to, to cooperate with us, you know? It's basically, um, when persuasion fails, use force. That's where he went. And unfortunately, right-wingers and left-wingers around the world use that same philosophy on a lesser scale. And at what point... Does their using that philosophy eventually lead to more outcomes such as this gentleman who did what he did, you know? Um, This guy says he's a fan of Heert Wilders, and yet, even though Heert Wilders might want to um, say some of the same things, just look at the black and white differences between their approach to the same issue. It's totally different. Wilders and his party of freedom believe in democracy and persuasion as the means to deal with a problem, whereas Breivik uses bombs and bullets. Duh. So, if he really valued any of the opinions of the various people he apparently is cited to on his website, then how come he didn't value or agree with any of their um, opinions on how to go about changing it? Yes. You know, which, was all, which was all peaceful and a, and a refusal to use violence. So, um, you know, if, if peace and all the rest of it is truly his goal, obviously he hasn't thought it, thought it through. He's potentially done great damage to the builders in this world. And he has served the Islamist threat that he says he fears. He has justified mass murder and terrorism for political purpose. He has demonstrated that, quote-unquote, Christians are just as politically and morally wacko as Islamists in in the case of the 9-11 conspirators. But um, none are insane or crazy in any medical or, or psychiatric sense of the word. I don't think so. Because if such a person is declared crazy or mad in any way, either by a legal court or the court of public opinion, then he will have had great success, and he will have demonstrated liberals are just as evil as he is you know (laughs) know. what you've described there in my opinion is
4: a sociopathy a sociopath is a person who because of usually um, problems with uh, an upbringing in the family familial uh, upbringing problems or societal upbringing problems they have developed or rather not developed a conscience a social conscience a conscience would, which would make what this man did totally
2: abhorrent. Yeah, but the guy's talking about a social conscience. He's talking about the future. He's talking about wanting to save... It sounds like in he's almost, got a tremendous social In conscience. almost an automatonic
4: way. It's like A equals B equals C equals D, so therefore I have to kill all these
2: innocent children. Yes. See, there's a disconnect once he's ta- there. Once he's, I don't know. I think once he, took, once he decided to take action, then that's how it happened. That's how an army would operate. They aren't going to second-guess what they're doing. After generally, they
4: armies don't kill
2: defenseless True. children, generally. True. But, you know, I looked up um, the word uh, sociopath, and it descri- defines a sociopath as a psychopathic personality whose behavior is aggressively antisocial. So it, it has to demonstrate an aggressive antisocial behavior, not That's just thought.
4: actually an incorrect definition. Sci- sociopathy is not a psychopathy. They're too different.
2: Well, that's what it says in the Webster's. So, that, that's uh,
4: actually in- incorrect.
2: And then, they, and then they define psychopathic personality as a person characterized by emotional instability, lack of sound judgment, perverse and impulsive behavior, inability to learn from experience, amoral and asocial feelings, and other serious personality <laughs> defects, which all may well be true, but I say, so what? You know, that's not really the issue. Got to take a break now, and we'll listen to uh, Jean-Luc Picard talking to someone who's very much like Brevik in an episode of Star Trek. This is not a new story. We'll be hearing it over and over again. Captain Jean-Luc Picard.
1: Captain Benjamin Maxwell. That'll be all, Commander. Captain. A pleasure, Captain. Please sit down. You must think I've gone mad. Thought had occurred? Picard, I have to tell you I was grateful when I realized it was you, Starfleet, had sent after me Someone who knows what it's really like out here I know of nothing out here that could possibly justify what you have done And listen to this The Cardassians are arming again That so-called science station Military supply port How do you know this? information comes my way from who where is your documentation i know what they're doing but whatever circumstances you encountered why didn't you notify starfleet (laughs) wait six months while the bureaucrats sit around reading reports trying to figure out what to do i don't know what's going on out here but you should picard you know what it's like to be under fire You weren't under fire. Lives were at stake. Whose lives? We had to act now. Why? Smells musty in here. Like a bureaucrat's office. You have killed nearly 700 people. And you have taken us to the brink of war. I have prevented war. Or at the very least delayed it a good long time. The peace treaty was a rose to give them breathing room, time to regroup. And so all alone you decided to dispose of the treaty? I took the initiative. I did what had to be done. What had to be done? Hmm? For whom? Why would a man, with a long and brilliant service, abandon the fundamental principles that he has believed in, even fought for, all of his life? You're a fool, Picard. History will look at you and say, this man was a fool. I'll accept the judgment of history. Thank you. Well, this show's going to be just a little different, isn't it? (laughs) Because I feel really gay right now. I feel so gay inside, I feel like I could just redecorate this room by looking at it. Why? Because I have the power. People are thinking, what's going on and can we get our money back? Just remember, you're in hell
2: and I'm the leader. (laughs) <laughs> leading the parade, maybe, eh? Joe Fontana at London's Gay Pride Parade has been called a first for the city. He certainly avoided the political controversy that was foisted upon Toronto's Mayor Ford, who did not participate in his city's Pride Parade. A good move on Joe's part, Robert? You think so? Yes, indeed. And a matter of fact,
4: I think that any mayor um, almost has an obligation, not not entirely an obligation, but should be seen to support any group of people who are positively demonstrating whatever they want. As long as it's a positive demonstration, not some sort of hate thing or, you know, why not participate?
2: I, I, I agree with you, and I think Joe's justification for t- participating was about community building. That's what he was talking about, sure. bringing the, quote, family together, a perfectly legitimate reason for the mayor of such a community to be involved in a public demonstration. Uh, now, whether such parades or any parade should be tax-funded is a completely separate issue. We're not going there. Mm-hmm. And this is also a completely different thing from what happened to Diane Haskett. So let's not go there. We just don't have the time today. That's all I wanted to say about this for now. Got some announcements about the show to make, though. And um, uh, just JustRightMedia.org now has two, count them, two copies of each broadcast going right back to our first one. In 2007, site visitors now have a choice between downloading a standard quality WMA file, about 14 megabytes of each broadcast, or a higher quality MP3 file, previously unavailable. They're around 70 megabytes, so if you didn't know about that and you're interested in getting some back um, you know, broadcast copies, they're all sitting there free for you at, on the site, www.justrightmedia.org and it looks like uh, a lot of you like the change since about forty percent of the downloads seem to be in this format now already robert we just started a few weeks ago so um, and there hasn't been a corresponding drop in the download rate of wma files which is interesting so um it seems to have increased the traffic and of course this is something i've forgotten to do for a while i put this in the overly belated and embarrassing introductions department. It is also my pleasure today to introduce our listeners by way of mentioning him at least. I don't know if he's able to talk to us on the air. Our on-air operator, at least for the past couple months, Ed von Adderkast. How you doing, Ed? He's waving at us in there. I hope our extreme diatribes aren't overly stressing for you each week. (laughs) Not (laughs) so-so, eh? (laughs) Anyways, I think we've got the whole system worked out. And uh, we welcome Ed aboard, and He's been with us for some time now. Uh, Another announcement quickly to make, Toronto Sun columnist, writer and part of Political Department of Studies here at UWO, Salim Mansour. And he's also been a guest on the show a few times in the past, and whose name was actually raised in the context of the Norway tragedy, believe it or not. But he's due to release his new book at the beginning of September. It's called Delectable Lie, a Liberal Repudiation of Multiculturalism which, going by that title, I would suggest means not a conservative repudiation, one wonders. We'll find out when we have Selim back on the show sometime nearer the time of his expected book launch. And it's interesting. If there is a liberal repudiation to multiculturalism, doesn't that that make the actions taken in Norway a complete and utter waste of time, totally futile and self-defeating? I mean, the gunman may have murdered a future Ayn Rand. Who also came from an environment of collectivism, though perhaps not a liberal one. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, interesting. So uh, who knows? That's just uh, well, we'll have uh, Salim on to discuss some of the reaction to that, and of course, on his book.
4: Now, I think the official launch um, of the book is September 10th, isn't it, Bob, in Ottawa, the Archives? But I think we'll probably have him on before that. Um, hopefully,
2: I I think so. Somewhere yeah. around that time. We'll we'll know more as time approaches. But before we carry on, we want to deal with a few of um the letters that have been sent to us Mm -hmm. and i can't read this whole one my goodness how long is this one by joe r it's about three or four pages here i'll just go on the highlights of it he says hi bob and rob and he says subject favoring the rich just thought i'd give you my thoughts on some of that episode now i wasn't exactly sure which episode he was referring to because uh, I think he was talking about the um, the one we did on the U.S. and Canada and on um, on um, the monarchy in the following week. Oh, yes. that, that was my judging from what he's saying here. He also says he likes those TV movie interludes we use by the. Uh, by the way, he says, they're both apt and thought-provoking. Yeah, they sure are, Joe. I tell you, we argue about those shows more than anything else. You know, actually, I think that there's more time spent on oh. compiling those than on our those, uh, scripting those, of the show. Those shows are work, let me tell you. Yeah. I don't know what it is about the entertainment field that gets us all so going, but it's the symbolism of it all and what it represents and what what it's all about. What it represents it? to me is, like I said
4: before, misspent youth watching too much TV. Uh. <laughs> Because we can come up with these at the top of our head. We said, oh, we're going to be talking about this. Well, then I know a show of Hogan's Heroes
2: that'll do that one. Well, Joe, t- Joe writes about the royal family's heritage going back to the German-Hungarian region and the Windsor's real names um, are Saxe-Coburg-Gotha. Saxe-Coburg, yeah. Yeah, and they changed their name to Windsor in the mid-1800s mm-hmm. and we're still called the Dirty Windsors up to World War One, during the U.S.-British uh, War of 1776 the people of England didn't hate their fellow British citizens in America he writes instead they hated their own king because he was a tax tyrant who was from Germany (laughs) George I guess yeah Yeah. hence why colonists and Americans were so uh, desperate to break the royal pain in the financial um, ass of taxation and tyranny and create their own means of financial and personal freedom from monarch monarchist rule and that today, still to this day, reaps billions from both Americans and Canadians through payments towards our national debts. Now, of course, when we, we had the show on about the American Revolution on John Adams, they were talking mm. about getting into debt right away as, as launching the nation. That uh, The con- country is, is founded Am- on debt. Yes, that's how they built their credit rating with, yeah. with Europe but he, uh, he talks about, um, gets into the whole issue of fiat money and points out how the Canadian dollar itself has lost 350% over the past 10 years against the price of gold and even more against the price of silver. That's an average of 35% each year and climbing. you honestly believe this is just a coincidence for 10 years in a row going on 11? No, we certainly don't. The fiat system is collapsing all around us due to central bank abuse around the world and self-interested politicians who have nothing for the people in mind except more taxes and some oppression to go along with it to implement the <laughs> the new taxes. Well, I think you might like what you're going to hear next then, Joe. We're going to be hearing a comment. Um, I understand, Robert, you said this was made July 19th to the Congress. Is that correct, by Ron Paul? yes. Ron Paul. Well, let's listen in and see what he has to say about the current crisis which of course they're facing right now And they have to vote by I think it's Tuesday. Is it or is it Monday? I, I think Tuesday, isn't it? Tuesday. Yeah. Well, let's see what happens
5: Mr. Speaker the the Congress is concerned about the uh, debt The people are concerned about the debt the markets are concerned about the debt The world is concerned about the debt and what we're doing here today because uh, We live with a world fiat dollar standard And so the whole world is engulfed in this uh, very serious problem. I do not understand, though, that if the debt is the problem, and I agree, the debt is the problem, that for us to come here and raise the debt by $2.4 trillion is the solution. That just baffles me. I think it's a distraction, because when a country gets indebted to the degree that we're indebted, the country always defaults. This is historic, especially if the country is a significant country. On occasion, a small country will quit sending the checks and they'll go bankrupt. We're not going to do that, but we will default because the debt is unsustainable. But how, but the argument here is how do you default? And uh, it is said that if we don't raise the debt limit, we're going to default and not send out the checks. I don't believe that for a minute. Somehow or another, the checks are going to go out. To increase the national debt will only encourage another type of default. And that's what we're going through. We're engaged in the most... Uh, the most difficult and a very bad way of defaulting, and that is through the destruction of the currency. Today, we have an inflation rate of 9%. And that is defaulting so if a government can default and print money and they if they can get a 50% inflation rate over a period of time they've cut that debt in half that is the goal that is what's happening and that is very very serious just in these last three years in dealing with this crisis the dollar has been devalued 50% against gold and gold of course is the best measurement of the value of a currency it has been that way for thousands of years and it cannot be denied because it's economic law so we are defaulting and when the American people go out and start buying goods and services like they are now they're recognizing their cost a lot of money so right now we're in the early stages of rampant inflation which means we're going to be hit with higher prices and higher interest rates that is going to be a tax so I see the only solution and that is to cut spending our problem in this country doesn't come only from the Congress it comes from the people the people still have a strong appetite for big government programs. They're not willing to cut. They think government can take care of us from cradle to grave and that we can be the policemen of the world. So someday, we as a country, we as a people and we as a Congress will have to say, what should the role of government be? The founders had a pretty strong suggestion. They wrote a constitution and said the government should be very limited. And the government should be protecting our liberties and providing national defense and a sound currency. We don't do any of that. We've embarked on a course that was destined to end badly, and this is where we are today. So if we don't understand this, this default will not be because we don't send out the checks. We will send out the checks. It will be defaulted on because people will get their money back or they will get their social security checks and it won't buy anything.
1: Wake up! You're not supposed to fall asleep. So if you want to keep me awake, you must talk to me. Yes, herr Commandant, but we have nothing in common. What shall I say? Talk about anything. Your philosophy of life, anything. Yes, herr Commandant. Let's see. My philosophy of life is that people should be always very kind to each other and never worry about things too much, because when it comes to trouble, it never rains, it pours. Oh, shut up, Schultz, who cares about your philosophy?
2: Oh.
3: Schultz, wake up! (laughs)
2: It's a little reminiscent of A Channel's airing of uh, London police officer sleeping on duty this week that just happened over the last (laughs) couple days, eh? Not sure how I feel about that issue. Either the officer sleeping on duty or the media choosing the film and broadcast it. I'm still thinking about that. However... On another point, Sergeant Schultz's philosophy of life is kind of a prime example of the naturalist view we were talking about last week, Robert. A little funny, like you said, uh, coming from a Nazi soldier. Yes, (laughs) we were talking about that. Uh, Which we, of course, contrasted with that of the romantic view on last week's show about Rod Serling and the Twilight Zone. You know, when it comes to trouble, it never rains, it pours. (laughs) Well, I guess that's the nature of trouble. In any case, uh, more trouble here. We've got some more letters to deal with. you want to... Take on the next one there, Robert.
4: Sure. This is from Allie. And Allie wrote um, Hi, guys. Been enjoying the show since its inception, and I've often thought of it. I haven't written it uh, in until now, though. Please accept my long overdue thanks for showing up week after week to grace the airwaves and the internet with such a terrific show. Your subject matter has always been interesting, and you're both delightful personalities. Oh, how nice. <laughs> but I found myself enjoying the show even more during the past few months. While I haven't gone back for another listen yet, offhand I would say that it's because you're venturing somewhat more frequently into metaphysics and epistemology during your discussions. I'm not sure that you're aware of it, because so much of your discussion seems to be off the cuff. But whatever the case may be, I enjoy it immensely. It's truly unique, and I'd like to request more of it. Thanks again. I'm looking forward to the next show. Sincerely.
2: Allie. Thank you, Allie. Well, thanks, Allie. I think that's the first time we ever got a letter from anyone with the words metaphysics and epistemology <laughs> in it. That's a first. So Yes. So something must be uh, going on yeah. <laughs> out there. we got another one there. Yes. And this is... Who's that one from? Now, this oh, one now is... This f- is from someone we're a little f- more familiar. Yes, this is from Paul Lambert, who
4: is in Sweden, and he's what we call our Euro correspondent because mm-hmm. he's been on, to the sh- on our show via phone and in person yep. a number of times and commenting we'll about uh, European issues. As a matter of fact, um, recently in a letter, an email he sent to us, he was listening over the police band to the events that were going on in uh, Oslo mm-hmm.
5: because yes, he's only we're...
4: 300 kilometers from yeah. there, and he says a number of people in his community actually work in oslo so there's a a bit of a connection there he writes hello fellows as much as um, i enjoyed the show i must add that mark now this he's referring here to mark vandermoss july 14th a,
2: show yeah.
4: yeah july 14th when mark vandermoss who was the uh, the blue beret protesting outside the london mosque on oxford street here in london and we were talking about the origins of israel and talking about the origins of israel and mark was saying that as the first country to ever be created basically by the united nations now this is what paul writes hello fellows as much as i enjoy the show i must add that mark really dropped the ball when he suggested that the un created israel he can be forgiven since that is the common wisdom from within the beltway but i would uh, have hoped that given his familiarity with the matter in Every other way, he would have nailed this better. The UN resolution of 1947 was merely a General Assembly resolution with no binding effect. Furthermore, it was never enacted exactly because the Arabs did not accept it and violated the partition lines immediately by invading Israel. And there was no talk of Palestines at all back then, certainly not of a state. Palestinians, yeah. Palestinians, yes. The partition lines on the map never became facts on the ground. Arabs did not invade immediately after the vote, but rather only once the British authorities and forces left. The first Zionist conference was held in 1879. Already by then, Jewish immigration to Palestine had been going on for decades. The UN vote in 1947 would do little more than to recognize the fact that the Jews on their own had de facto created a state. Before World War II, The only issue was whether Israel would become an independent state or remain a crown colony of Britain. The legitimacy of Israel does not lie in any notion of the UN having created it. Its legitimacy lies in the right that any other country has to its territorial integrity and self-determination. Just as the French are entitled to live in France, the English in England, the Russians in Russia, or the Chinese in China, the Judeans are entitled to live in Judea. Furthermore, as a society seeking to establish freedom, they had the right to seek to gain independence from the much less free dominating powers, namely Turkey and previous Arab domination, under which the Jews were subject to a kind of apartheid. The Arabs in Israel certainly are not. Upon defeating the Ottoman Turks, the British mandate was to create a homeland for the Jews, period. Even under Ottoman rule, the Jews purchased the land they wanted legally at exorbitant prices, from absentee landlords, and respected the property rights of their neighbors. All this was long before the UN ever existed. We need to retire the idea that the UN created Israel. Rather, Israel is a textbook case of a perfect way for a people to create a state of their own within.
2: Paul Lambert. Thank you, Paul. Very insightful comments and a a nice, you know, clarification of that whole situation. Mm -hmm. Um, Any other comments on that? We're going to be hearing more about that from Paul in a future broadcast, I'm sure. Yes. Um, Any other quick comments or anything? I just got one last thing to say before we go, and this is sort of on a personal note, Robert, although it concerns my relationship with the federal government. Um, Last week, Monday, um, I got a personal visit by Statistics Canada, believe it or not lady came to my door, asked after me to fill out the long-form census as a follow-up to the one I didn't submit last time around last year. And uh, here's the weird part. I filled out my census this year. I got the short form. And I filled it out, and I sent it in right after the postal strike. The reason being, there wasn't much to add to it it was already practically pre uh you know pre-made out for me my address and all I that know. stuff i had the there. short form too put my name on it and send it and yeah, i didn't so care. basically what did it ask my
4: language mm, and right. how many people were there that's fine i sent mine in via the internet
2: so even though that's the case you know and they've been playing these ads all through the postal strike i was wondering about that too you know like um Someone from Statistics Canada is going to visit your home, right? Because we want to get all this. I figure that would only apply to people who, who didn't send their their forms in. Apparently not. Um, she explained to me that uh, sh- that they want to follow up on the previous one, and I had the long form the last time, but I refused to fill it out, and I gave that poor fellow a real hard time. Although maybe he filled it out on my <laughs> behalf, and I don't know about it. But I politely refused to fill out the new quote voluntary survey. Voluntary, thanks to the kerfuffle over the census issue last summer. When they had hearings, um, federally speaking. And then I was asked why. And I explained to her my objections to centralized, socialized government planning of the economy and why I believed it to be destructive to our prop- prosperity and services and went into a whole bunch of stuff. Also explained that I was a rather um, noisy and outspoken opponent of the census. You certainly are. And this got her own personal interest up, and she started talking to me. And when I told her about this show, she might be listening right now. I don't know her name, but I'll say hello if she's listening. <laughs> and uh, how we discussed the issue of the census in the past, I gave her our website. And, uh, you know, by the end of our conversation, we politely shook hands. And who knows, you know, she might be listening now, I might become a fan. But quite a difference from the way I found myself treating the last few census reps who came to my home with non-voluntary documents for me to fill out you know what i mean Mm -hmm. and i I don't know if it's just my natural way of reacting to people that are holding a gun to my head i get a little hostile with them off the top without even thinking about it are are a lot of people like that are you like that a bit yes i am people just don't like being forced to do things they don't want to do do they but um gee that's about it for letters anybody i left out here i'm just going through this pile um what do we got coming up in the future too we have some interesting comments coming up on, or um, shows coming up on subjects we haven't even thought about yet. So I think we've got—I can't believe that we covered it all, Robert. Well, that's, that's great. Everything. I'll just uh,
4: put a, one yeah. suggestion out there to our listeners, if you don't mind, Bob. And sure. that would be, if you've got some sort of topic that we haven't covered in all of the 210 shows that Bob and I have put under our belts, drop us a line at feedback. At JustRightMedia.org, and let us know if you have something that you might want us to talk about. If we find it uh, something that we can say something intelligent about, well, I think we will.
2: Yeah, it doesn't have to be always about politics. We, you know, we'll do the we'll talk, talk about almost know. anything.
4: Look, what we do last week was Rod Serling. Uh, oh, and um, to the listeners you know, out there, if you would just visit our Facebook page, or uh, you can get to that via our homepage at uh, www.justrightmedia.org, and click on the like button there, and go to our Facebook page. We'd really appreciate that too.
2: Great. And that's it for this week. And we'll have to be returned next week when we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, you know what to do. Be right, act right, stay right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Take care.
3: Fade into color, color into black and white Under the Everything will be... All-
0: hey, next week, we have a lineup, I think, that's... I decreed. wonder if uh, you'd mind if I said something my aunt once said to me. See, I'm afraid we're out of time oh. Next week, an outstanding She guest was that... caught in the Swedish bath at the uh, Wiles Hotel in Petoskey, Michigan for 14 days with a live moose <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I'm certainly happy we managed to bring that message to the American audience Next... I thought perhaps what she said when she came out of the Swedish bath would be of interest to the folks Thank you <laughs> My aunt was uh, caught in the uh, Swedish bath of the Wiles Hotel in Petoskey, Michigan for 14 days with a live moose. And when she came out, she said, always love animals, pet them and love them, but never, ever trust a live moose in a steam bath for 14 days. Thank you. Because he also might be an elk and a Shriner.
5: Yes, Uh, thank you very much.